on this episode of AV Week. Infocom moves to October, what that means for the industry. Sure petitions the FCC to save some wireless spectrum and taking a look at the tech of the Super Bowl. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 494, recorded Friday, February 5th, 2021. Moving Wireless. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, Sound Extraordinary, and by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. And by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. And we have a couple doozies. Uh, first and foremost, uh, by way of California, her name is Corey Schaefer. She works for QSC. Welcome, ma'am. Hey, good to be here. Good to have you. Also with us, uh, I guess uh, going west to east, uh, Mr. Joel Norris. Uh, he is from uh, Shore, one of our sponsors, and we thank him. He's due north of me in Chicago, so welcome, sir. Indeed, thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And last but not least, the left-hand side of my brain, and has been for darn near 10 years now, uh, hiding under 21 inches of snow, George Tucker from Yonkers, New York. Welcome, hey, sir. How are you guys? Good to be on again. Good night. 21 inches. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Glad it's you. <laughs> I mean, I like snow, but I don't want no 21 inches. Let's just yeah, my way. back and my arms are telling me it was a lot of snow. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Uh, so if you haven't heard, uh, Infocom got moved <laughs> this week. Um, Avixa CEO, Mr. Dave Labuskas, announced that uh, the uh, show that is was scheduled to ha- take place uh, the first part of June has gotten moved uh, to uh October 22nd through the 29th. I'm making sure I'm saying this right. 22nd through the 29th, the 27th, 28th, and 29th at the exhibit hall. The 22nd is when folks will get in town uh, to do um, to do uh, education. Uh, from the uh, the letter that Dave sent out, he said, quote, unquote, um, throughout my tenure, Avixa has been committed to two fundamental properties, to be the hub of the AV professional community and to act as a catalyst for growth for the AV market goes on to say that part of that growth are trade shows, and he's not wrong. Now, the question is, is how do we do that and how do we do that safely? Last year, Infocom had to do a, a remote version, a, a virtual version, they call it Infocom Connect. Integrated Systems Europe moved their February, actually, we should be in, 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 in Barcelona right now, uh, had the world not uh, taken a left turn last year. So, Corey, we'll start with you on this and get you and Joel from a, a manufacturer standpoint. What does this do, uh, right, for, from a product standpoint? And I'm not asking anybody to break NDAs and I'm not signing anything, but what does this do from a product roadmap standpoint? What does it do from a marketing standpoint? And what does it do for, for you guys who are looking at, first of all, doing two shows uh, within two weeks of each other? Now you're not, right? Right. Uh, and, and does it, you know, how, how much more confidence do you have in it actually happening as opposed to going on in June? Well, certainly greater confidence than if it were to come off in June. Um, And matter of fact, um, you know, there was already a lot of talk whether it would actually happen or not. Um, Secondly, 
I think one thing COVID has taught us as a manufacturer is um, with product announcements and and uh, the marketing around new product that we've actually found other ways to do it than besides a trade show. And we've gotten quite good at it. And, you know, you can't really change your product, your product cycle when a show moves because we certainly don't want to delay new product coming out. And we found, again, we found really successful other ways to, to do product announcements. So that's great. Um, I think that, um, you know, even October might be a little optimistic, you know, depending on how, I mean, especially in Florida, um, with what's going on, I've seen a few things on Twitter with, you know, still like not people you know, unwilling to wear masks and, you know, just thinking the vaccine is going to be the, the, you know, the end all. Um, I, I, I don't know. I hope it happens because I, for one, miss my AV community and just can't wait to see people in person again. Um, you know, so I think I applaud them. I think it was a good move and I'm glad they did it, you know, as soon as they did it. And that is one thing to point out of the fact that it is in Florida this year, right? Uh, and there are, you know, um, Florida at one time was the the, the most most um, affected state in in the union in the United States. Um, I, you know, it depends on where they are now. They're they're not there uh, anymore. Um, Joel, same kind of question though. And Corey mentioned the fact that you can't exactly slow down or or just you know product roadmaps but what does it give for you personally right but also yep. uh, you guys at sure who also you know also just like qsc one of the main one of the main exhibitors at infocom i certainly agree with corey uh we will have to sort of weigh and look at the product map to see you know which uh, which devices which new technologies will we be putting out into the world at you know a fast pace we certainly don't have to do that in June, since we have some time now, since it's been moved to October, that may be a bit uh, optimistic, I think, as well. But it will give us some time to really to hone down and, and see, like, okay, we have um, this this uh, setup where we have this kit, or we have such as the the Polycom one. We have um, these devices that we want to showcase for a trade show. We don't necessarily have to do it in that setting. We can do it either online, sort of how CES has done there their trade show online and they specified or sort of um, uh, categorized certain products that they want to show in that environment. And that will work well for a trade show that is either online or potentially in person. So it gives us some time. It gives us some confidence to say that, okay, we don't have to do it right now in, in the summertime. We have some sort of leeway to, to uh, really think about what we want to put forth out there in the world. Um, especially the last year, it gave us the opportunity to either pivot or take a look at some of the product line that we were going to put out there and say, oh, we are now in a remote working scenario. We're, we're now in a scenario where we don't necessarily need this product on the roadmap. Um, so it's giving us a lot of time to sort of step back. And it's both a, a blessing, could also be a curse, but it's just giving us a lot of, um, a lot of time, a lot of sort of time to step back and, and say, hey, we, we uh, can can do what we need to do at the time it comes in October. And yeah. October is what, maybe uh, six months or so away, but yeah. yeah. Be here before yeah. we know it. And the two positive things like uh, Florida in October, certainly better than June, right? For Indeed. Weather. Amen, sister. And, and we can dress up. It'll be Halloween. <laughs> this is true, yes. This is true. Now, I, I will tell you, so we do an, an annual party called the Tweet Up. 
Um, and typically that's done on the Wednesday of Infocom. And I've already got a couple of people asking if we're going to do a Halloween version of the tweet up. So we'll see. I don't know. You know. The answer is yes, you are. I, of course. Yes, we're going to do it. Um, Mr. Tucker, you have covered uh, Infocom and gone as an exhibitor. So you've got a, a unique perspective on this side. Take a look at it, you know, and, and not just that. Take a look at what this means, you know, from a, an exhibit, an attendee standpoint. Does this make you more likely or less likely? Um, but also take a look at it from somebody inside the industry where you've got it, you know, it's been placed in the middle of a pretty hectic fall. Uh, I've made the joke to my wife that I'll see her sometime around Christmas come the 1st of August or September, because the first, the 1st of September is, is Cedia. The 1st of October is NAB. The last of October is, is Infocom now and a couple of other, you know, shows going on in there. So what is this, you know, what does this do for the, for the community, uh, for the industry? And does it, you know, make you more likely to attend? You know, it's, it's hard because more likely to attend based on the pandemic and that we might be in a better place. Yes. And understanding that that's the case. I don't actually know a lot of people who attend NAB, Avixa, and, and Cedia all at once. I know a few people who do them, but I know very few who do all three every year. It's sort of a roundabout choice. And then if yeah. you're in a, in a recording studio world as well as this, you get a yes, which also sort of mashes in between half of them as, all the time as well. So you have to make your choices. Um, I, I'd like the idea, as we said, be October because it's not as swelteringly hot and it's not, you know, as as terrible and i'm as they say in the magazines i'm a fall so i prefer that look uh but from a from a a manufacturer's perspective as as joel and Corey have stated you know there are certain products you want out in a certain cycle but some of them don't need to be exposed for the first time at a show you can do those remote working tools on the website through the magazines and then people will want to come in and get a better hands-on on them to see that what they can provide the solutions for their clients or as Avixa and CD have been doing letting more sort of technology directors in to the exhibits you know to see that stuff as well so there's a little bit of a build-up it's almost an advantage you can do a tease and a build-up and go hey we're here it's on come see it and there's more of a drive to actually go I've been thinking about that not just the stunning hey you know oh I came upon this I want to I want to see this uh, I think there's going to have to be a lot more interactive for a lot of these booths these days, especially since we've been away for a while. It needs to be driven by, you need this, come see why it's better. Not just, here it is on display, we'll give, it, give a speech. Other than that, I, th I think the timing's okay. I hope it works. You know, like ISC just announced, what is it, today or a couple of days ago that uh, Mr. Blackman said it's either June or it's 2022. Uh, yeah. You know, so we're at that stage where we just don't know. And kudos for them for trying. And I get it. But, you know, I, I, my last job and career was working with Broadway and Broadway tours. Who knows when that's really going to happen? <laughs> well, well yeah, if it, it is 20, if 2022, it's only four months after Infocom versus, true. you know, I mean, on top of each other anyway. Yeah. Um, I, th I, I think we, that's we why. Yeah, I, I think that's why Mike did that, right? Said that, um, and that they and they said, you know, it's either June or 2022 in person. ISC is yeah. still going to have some sort of hybrid, some sort of virtual component to it. Uh, I think that he's he's made that very clear since since last summer. Um, right. And I and in talking with the interview we did with with Mr. Labuskas, um, we kind of meandered into ISC. You, you kind of have to in, in talking about this, especially for someone you know, Avixa owns 50% uh, of of ISC. Yeah. Um, 
he said that March 1st is a, is a significant date for a lot of folks. And, and Joel and, and, and Corey, you guys both understand that those are dates that, that the exhibitors have to have certain monies in. Um, those are deadlines for, you know, third parties, like hotels and, and builders and stuff like that. Yeah. So that we will, this is not going to drag out, right? That we will right. understand and know what's happening in Barcelona and with that show in the next two to three weeks. Infocom, though, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I, I'm not speaking anything. I'll knock on this on this desk here. God help me. I need to go to a show. Um, I, I that one most likely will happen in October. Go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, you know, um, he has said it's going to be online and in person. And that's always been the plan. And I'm just going to say, I hope all shows think about that moving forward, because I think that they're very different experiences. And when you have an event online and in person, it allows your your reach to be greater and one thing we've all adapted to in this year is you know we're all doing a lot online and there's certainly pros and cons to that but i hope we all i think like the hybrid workplace is going to be that way moving forward you know um, we're not all going to go back to offices etc i hope trade shows are a hybrid um, take a hybrid approach i fully agree fully agree there having a trade show that's a hybrid making sure that they're not letting go of the the remote trade show um, stance, which we've we've done and we've known can work. It may be a different yeah. experience, but certainly if people cannot make it to um, whether it's ISC or Infocom or any of the future trade shows, we know we now have a, a framework to you know, provide um, some sort of experience, maybe not the same experience as they would have on site, but some sort of experience where they will have access to um, the information that the manufacturer has or a product line or a new product launches. Yeah. Um, they may not be able to see it, uh, on site there, but they will still have the information if they if they do want to get in contact with a manufacturer at a later time. Right. They now know, you know, previously what they didn't know, they now know that, oh, they have something out new. So right. Joel, for us manufacturers at the show, we wanna we want to have a wide reach. We want to reach oh, yeah. new people. And doing hybrid is a really great way to help us reach people that won't typically be able to get to the show. It's a great way. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, next story come to us from our friends over at AV Network. Uh, we're doing a, another event with them called the Digital Signage um, um, Show. Uh, you can check that out at uh, the digitalsignageevent.com. Uh, happens next month. Sure is petitioning the FCC for dedicated UHF channel for wireless mics. And then and we're talking with Joel here. We'll start with him on this. Uh, but Sure has petitioned the, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the U.S. body that handles the airwaves here. Uh, to reverse its recent decision and ensure that at least one vacant six megahertz UHF channel is designated in each market for wireless microphone use. The FCC recently terminated the vacant channel rulemaking that was opened uh, during the 600 megahertz incentive auction. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, this happened uh, a number of years ago when um, the FCC sold off <laughs> the uh, uh, the spectrum um, that is set to go. That was set to go into effect July thirteenth of twenty twenty is when we were supposed to see all of that cease. Joel, we'll start with you on this. Yes. Um, as work, someone who works for sure, um, you know what is this? What does this do uh, to your guys's market, but also to your customers and the folks that are that live with wireless every day? If we don't have these vacant channels, well, as we can see, especially from the the auction, the recently completed auction that. Spectrum is tight, especially in some of the markets, um, maybe in, in Houston or in Miami, like getting uh, UHF and digital wireless microphones on air, especially if you have a very high channel count, 
can be a challenge, um, quite challenging. And it's something we deal with every day, especially on the support side. So this, uh, having this opportunity to petition the FCC for just six megahertz or at least one channel will give the manufacturer, will give sure, will give also any churches or anyone that's using um, at trade shows or uh, sporting events and things like that, if they're using a fairly high channel count in these very dense markets, it will give them some certainty that they can place, you know, a large amount of channels in one space. And it will give us some certainty that we can provide a diverse, you know, selection of, of wireless microphones and other products that may not work very well in some of the other bands, like the 1.9 gigahertz band or the VHF band because of other interference. So it will give some certainty to both ourselves as well as our customers. Right. Mr. Tucker, you mentioned the fact that before the pandemic, you worked a lot in theaters and uh, in, in traveling shows. Uh, take that, you know, that market and others as well. And how big of a deal is this for, for you know, the folks, uh, these markets that, that depend on uh, and come to depend on the, the wireless, you know, technology that, that we've all come to, to enjoy the last 30, 40 years? Oh, it's huge. I mean, especially when you're doing something like musicals and, you know, one of the limitations of some of the other frequency set, digital or not, is that there's a limitation on the bandwidth. And when you're doing big musicals and you want big sound and there's actually some of them with live orchestras, you're dealing with a lot there that, is limited in those higher frequency sets, those ISM sets that they have said, oh, you can have those, but only in this spectrum, right? I mean, if you think about Broadway, it is theaters that are back to back to back to back. They are literally sometimes abutting each other, you know, end, end, walls, of, yeah. end of stage, end of stage. And, you know, radio frequencies don't care. So, you know, as much as we use our bat wings and try to direct everything, you're still going to get crossover. And that is a real problem that when they first did this, we were disappointed we couldn't hide between the picture, sound, and, and color of, uh, of televisions. But we did say that there was some accommodation. And now it's just so limited that you always are crashing into someone. You're always having to not just frequency coordinate, but Uber coordinate. Like, you know, you guys are not on these days. So when we have somebody who's an understudy and they use this pack pack, which is on that frequency, we know that you can't be a lot. It's, it really has caused a serious problem where they're limiting how they use the wireless technology. And also and starts to collide. You're Go mentioning ahead. Broadway, and yeah. in this article, they're talking about like so broadcasting, performing arts, entertainment, yeah. houses of worship, education, recording yeah. artists. There's so many, and you think about all the other ones, such as you know in-ear, intercom, you know yeah. wireless mics. I mean, the you know without it, the integrity really compromised, and we're really <laughs> with hybrid environments. Be, you know, as we were just talking about earlier, this is really important. On the positive note, it makes the wireless audio guy's job golden, and it's one of the higher paying <laughs> positions. You know, you're not just an A1, you're an A1 with wireless. You've got some. We have, good, we have an advanced wireless training just for yeah. that now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that <laughs> makes you the man. Trust me, you know. Um, but. Do you know, interesting that sure is petitioning this really could be all the microphone manufacturers, or more importantly, as someone mentioned, the industry associations banding together to have more power than just a single company. Well, yeah, and I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter. We were recording this on Friday the, the 5th, and I mentioned this on Twitter when I put, sent a link to it. And um, some folks, um, I think they, they took that the wrong way. I was not poking at a Vixen necessarily. Um, some some uh, of my followers started chatting back and forth and said, yeah, a Vixen should do this. Yeah, a Vixen should. But so should NSCA, so should NAB, so should IMCCA, so should, you know, CCU. I mean, all of these folks that have acronyms, right? Yep. If you have a client base 
that it has a wireless mic in their system, guess what? Your client base is affected by this. Indeed, we're um, all on the same team. Yeah. And isn't the power of an association the power of all the members of the association, not just a single member, yeah. right? And, and let me bring something, something else out here because I, I can get pretty heated about this and, and I'm going to try not to, but here, here's, the, here's the thing. I am, I am an unabashed libertarian. Let me start there as my political viewpoint, right? And, and Tucker and I go back and forth on this because he's not. Uh, but I, I, I believe in smaller government in general, right? And the government has, the, has this idea that the, the wireless spectrum is this wonderful, fantastic pool that they can sell off for, I think the last one they sold off was for $4.6 billion, right, last year. $4.6 billion. Understand that. Out of the B, not a T, a B. Yep. That's a lot of money. Understand. I'm not saying it's not a lot of money. But if you take the amount of taxes, both local and federal, that sure pays, that Sennheiser pays, that AKG pays, that whoever makes whatever wireless over the next 5, 10, 20 years, it's going to be more than $4.6 billion dollars but you can only sell it once kids. Right. So, right. so you, you right. sell it once for 4 billion and you give up revenue and you give up the, the tax base of an entire line of products because you want the $4.6 billion today. Right. And you're yeah. not even figuring in the venues that these are no. used in. So you're talking about the manufacturers that have them, but also the venues that pay the taxes, you mm -hmm. know, et cetera. Yeah. Well, the problem the is we have an FCC that is not entirely I'm going to be careful here. Not entirely dedicated to just making sure the technology and the spectrum is fairly used. <laughs> there are influences, shall we say, on their decision. There have making. always been influences, I mean, but, I mean, but, I but who, in addition, I don't care who's in the White House. Yeah, but in addition, no, no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but yeah. that's that, that's my point. And in addition, it is run by a number of people, especially those who are supposed to oversee it in the government, who don't understand the technology at all. Just like the Boom. internet, just like networking, it's run and committees are managed and led by people who have no idea what the technology does. Now, I'm not asking for people to understand exactly how the circuit board goes and what those little low frequency filters and are <laughs> do, but they should understand the basics of the technology and how it affects a greater revenue income and businesses and industries. And they just don't. It's the problem we've had with the internet since its beginning. And see, I, 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 I would almost agree with you except for one thing. I, I have a former student, fantastic videographer. Uh, we've used him before. Um, his name's Craig, uh, Craig Phelps. He, and he, he has in, uh, kind of educated me on, because he's been a part of Corey Bush's uh, transition team. Uh, he's not staying with her in Washington. Corey, Corey Bush is, is local uh, St. Louis uh, congresswoman uh, who just got elected by, last, uh, last November. There are folks in the Library of Congress whose job it is to create briefs for Congress people, right? It's their job to educate them. So if they wanted to, they could get educated. They could they understand this better. Well, yes, they have to read it. And is it presented? I mean, we've well, had they have this to problem ask for our... it first. Well, right? they yes, still want to get educated true. about it. But we also Which have back to the, the previous point you were making, the more even Corey were saying, the more people that we have, you know, sort of lobbying and petitioning to say, this is what we need for this industry, the better. Yep. Yeah. Sure, we certainly can do our part and we certainly can petition. And you are. More, yeah. yeah. Right. That's the yeah, thing. You, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be alone. Bingo. Doing it. Yeah. All right. Tucker, you want to get me off the ledge here before I piss off somebody? <laughs> I kind of rather like that you're going to piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> Drive those right. numbers. 
Uh, last story here, just because it's the Friday before the, 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 the big game, I guess, technically we can't say, you know, bowl and super at the same time, uh, ping HD digital menu boards, uh, Dactronics, uh, is, is part of the Super Bowl uh, LV tech at Raymond James stadium, taking a look at the digital signage boards, Mr. Tucker, this is, uh, one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest sporting events, at least in the North America. And, and honestly, it's grown to the, to the globally. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, they're only letting in a third of the capacity at, at Raymond James in Tampa there. Um, but you start looking at, at the technology that's evolved in sporting stadiums, in sports venues over the last 10, 20 years. This is one of the biggest, right? This is these, these, these dynamic boards. Um, what are some of the areas that, that, you know, even during COVID and as we come out of COVID, that we're able to kind of leverage the smarts uh, and arts in, in our industry to highlight what we do more than just once a year, right? But, but in uh, some of these new, uh, new fancy stadiums. Well, I think the whole thing with stadiums is interactive, right? It's mm. not just the menu boards. It's not just the information. There are boards that are giving you additional information on the game, stuff you wouldn't see on the TV. I mean, everybody who goes to a lot of these stadiums now wants to be able to have an app that they can connect to in the stadium seating and get a review of what the play was, see what was going on with the calls and get all that ever information. Some of it's for betting, but a lot of it has been instituted by the NFL or the sporting leagues and the associations with them so that you get a more enhanced experience. So I get the quality that I would have sitting at my computer, watching TV and getting the information I want because I wanted to look it up right in the palm of my hand while I'm at the game. And I will admit that as a sports fan, I'm sort of an itinerant. I don't really watch a lot of football. And the few games I've gone to in the past, to me, were exceptionally, um, I'm going to be blunt, boring. And I was in good seats. It's just a lot. You know, you think hockey has a lot of delays? So many delays that you sit there. You don't even know if the game is going on sometimes, to my, from my perspective. But having that additional information, having that perspective and keeping me attentive to the action and to the dynamics actually kept me saying, oh, I'd go back. The first couple that I did, like in the 90s, didn't want to go back ever. Had friends who had seats and said, come on back, like in the mid-2000s here. Yeah. And I, I went back and it was, it was fun. You know, and the food's better and all that other stuff. But that, that interactiveness is the idea, whether it's screen signs, whether it's apps, whether it's just more information provided to you. And especially now they're going to tell them, hey, you can go do your order online, pay online or pay with the app. And then either pick it up at a special window or it gets delivered because they can't really mill about. You know, it's different. Right. They have to do it in sort of sequences. And <laughs> also, what's cool patterns. about this is, is that it's um, changes can be, it's a cloud-based, it's software. Mm -hmm. Changes are made, you know, in the cloud. It's just, I mean, it's just so cool. And to your point, George, you know, so many um, of these large venues are looking other ways to keep the fans attention, attraction, and satisfaction. So I went to a um, an event put on by like Coliseum or something like that. It was prior to COVID and it was all people that work within these large sporting menus and the things that they're thinking about. And it's all about the, the fans' experience. They want to have lines that are short. They want to have multiple ways to enter. They want to have entertainment for maybe people in your family that aren't really into the game, but they want to go to the game because they're paying these high ticket prices. So, so they're really thinking about ways to really up the experience. And um, I mean, this is just an, you know, another way to do that. 
Indeed, I think enhancing that experience with either of these, uh, the digital screens, digital signage, having some way, as George mentioned, to uh, bring you know statistics or something happened in the play, if we had a, a delay or a penalty, having some way to display anything and everything about the game, even for someone who you know has to go to the restroom or you know order some food or something like that, having digital signage and screenage. Um, available and either always changing or some way to enhance the experience will only lead, I believe, to, to you know, a better fan experience, increased ticket sales, um, and having just a way for people who aren't even involved with the game, who aren't necessarily there. Some people will just go with their family to see, to see the game with their family. They'll maybe have a much better experience there than if they went to just watch the game on the field. So yeah. if you're, you're taking the fan away from, say, their seat on the field, what is their experience around the stadium? The stadium becomes now just a canvas of what you can do with, with digital signage and bringing that technology um, into the Super Bowl stadium and into stadiums across the country, I think, would be the, the best way to go. I think a lot of this technology is what saved baseball for a while is that the enhanced stadiums with the enhanced signage and of course the food and the venues yep. really did bring people into the game. You know, I know people who wouldn't watch it on TV just because, or listen to it on the radio because as the nature of the game, it's longer. <laughs> it takes a little bit more pacing, uh, but they would go to the game with people because they had something they could look up. They could be at the venue and see the, the action, but also, you know, who hit all those statistics it became more of an event for them. I and mean, even in plays, we use that technology to bring in closed captioning to bring in uh, enhanced uh, stuff for disabled people, whether it's you know, the, the descriptive stuff or, or, or those kind of tools, that's where that action is. That's in churches, that's in all kinds of venues, and it can be placed into situations like malls and events similar. And to have this highlighted at the Super Bowl, mm. I mean, you know, I know they have limited attendance, but after this game and all that we're going to see on TV with all this technology, I mean, all of us are so hungry to get out for a new experience. You know, it's, it's going to be great. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I will mention this in closing. The, the still one of the coolest sporting events uh, that I got the opportunity to attend. Uh, with a couple of really good buddies of mine uh, in London last year, uh, in 2019, I guess. Um, uh, so a year and a half ago, uh, I guess watched the Bears play the Raiders at Tottenham, uh, which is the Spurs. Yeah, exactly. Now they lost, but it was still a great experience. It really, really was. Um, a great experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, uh, that is going to do it for us. Thank you all so much. Joel Norris from Sure. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or Sure? Great. Thank you. Uh, you can reach me either on LinkedIn at Joel Norris or support at sure.com. We have another uh, number of engineers available and ready. Just give us a call. All right. Very good. There's Corey Schaefer. Thank you, ma'am. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. Uh, so you can reach me at Corey.Schaefer at QSC.com or on the Twitters or on LinkedIn. All right, very good. And Mr. Tucker, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Tucker Twos. That's where I reside these days. That's it. All right. Very good. Uh, and and under 21 inches of snow, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for us, for Aviation, uh, go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, check out our sponsors. They help us bring you AV Week. And sure is, is one of those. And we thank them uh, for their support. So also, I mentioned this. We are coming up with um, another event with our our future fans no that's stupid our our friends over at um uh, scn and future 
uh, it's, it's an event uh, on digital signage called the Digital Signage Event, uh, a full day of me and Megan Dutta interviewing really smart people about digital signage. So you can check that out at the Digital Signage Event. So check all that out uh, and check us out at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.